good afternoon, good evening, good night, good morning, uh, whenever you happen to be listening. This is the Working Man's Honest Bicycle Program. We are resuming our conversation. Uh, ask an official is what we're doing right now. So, of course, we have our usual panel of two. There's me, I'm Greg. Uh, I'm in, entombed in ice and snow in Boston. And <laughs> on the other side of the microphone, we have Matteo in Minneapolis, where it is, uh, in a peculiar turn of events, less snowy than it is in Boston. Hey, Matteo, how you doing? I'm doing great, Greg. Uh, yeah, it is a rare occasion that I, you know, get to say that it is uh, warmer and milder and less snowy than what all of my East Coast friends are dealing with. Uh, and I am joined here in Minneapolis by our guest, our talented and gracious and willing USA Cycling official, Emily Good, who is joining us to, uh, as she did for our episode last week, to discuss kind of the ins and outs of officiating and where we as bike racers can uh, have a conversation about bike racing and about officiating and about you know these, these two sides of a process uh, and figure out what's going on. When we take off the khaki pants, the blue collared shirt, the lycra, when we put the bikes aside, we're not so different, you and I, are we, Emily? No, and it's pretty it's pretty cool to have this conversation. And I feel like um, last week I forgot to give the disclaimer, which as a lawyer, I feel like I probably should have. But, you know, obviously personal capacity, not speaking on behalf of USA Cycling or anything <laughs> like that. So now I feel like I'm covered for uh, the last week and for this week. And now, so as a lawyer, is that that's that's really that's sort of retroactive, even though that disclaimer isn't on the previous episode, it still applies. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and use my amazing authority as both a USA Cycling official and a licensed attorney to be like, yeah, I think I'm covered. (laughs) Awesome. Well, that's great. (laughs) Let's pick up where we left off. We've got a few more things on our list here, uh, a few like things we can all, uh, get to that might be might be good to talk about. Uh, one thing I'm seeing here is number pinning, and I think I I can foresee this being fun. So, yeah, this is this is one of my I think my first direct interactions with an official was I was at a race that required us to wear three numbers, hmm. you know, one on each side and then one on the jersey pockets, and I have a fairly small torso. And like, oh, preach, brother! <laughs> I could have, I could have like stitched these three numbers together into like a full garment that I could have worn, you know. <laughs> so, so I'm like figuring out what to do, and so of course I'm, you know, folding the edges a little bit to try and reduce the uh, the amount of real estate that these numbers are taking up. And predictably, I roll over toward the starting line, and an official sees me and says, "You're going to need to unfold those numbers." And to me, uh, you know, my second year racing, like this is just a drag like why do i have there are too many numbers like blah 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 obviously i'm like pissing and moaning about it but presumably there are some un- other concerns at work this was actually the greatest before um, yeah oh sorry sorry emily i was just gonna just say before i let you jump in that um this was what i have the same problem of course and this was what i perceived as the greatest injustice when i started racing as a collegiate racer was uh in, in collegiate racing, you get two, uh, well, in the in the Eastern Collegiate Cycling Conference, you got at the beginning of the season two numbers for your jersey and one, one number for your bike. And they were huge because they had ECCC on them and, and all these other things. 
and I actually spent a good portion of that first season um, folding the numbers over because I was like I could I, I couldn't understand how I would get them on anyway. Um, but anyway, go ahead. Emily. <laughs> yeah, well, I I will say um, I do appreciate actually races where there are multiple numbers. I work like virtually none of those, um, so I'm most of my frustration is aimed at single number situations, but. Um, so the reason that we get annoyed with like the folding, um, and I'm a small, short person too, so I feel you on that front. <laughs> um, but is that like, so when you're trying to watch a number fly by you at like 20-ish miles an hour, um, part of the like visual acuity is that having white space around that actually, I didn't think this would be true, but it totally is, really helps you to read it better because it offsets those dark numbers. And so when you decrease the white space around that number, it gets just enough harder to read. And so that's why we don't like folding. Um, and there are like rules in the rule book about like how large numbers are supposed to be and so on and so forth. Um, and that's for the same reason. It's just because um, it really does make a difference. And crumpling is my other like pet peeve. Ooh, um, ooh, yeah. Because yeah, I know people think it like makes it aerodynamic or whatever and you don't want it to end up flapping um the way that you solve the flapping problem is just a lot of pins um <laughs> or glue i'm totally down with the glue as long as you put your number on right side up um unless you're number 13 um but you know it's when it's crumpled especially if we're working um races either at night under lights um which happens at the track sometimes or um, if we're working races where there's just really bright sunlight, it bounces off of those crumples in so many ways that it can be actually really hard to read. And like eights and sixes, again, when they're flying by you or when they're partially obscured by somebody else, um, which is often the case in bike races <laughs> when there's a pack, um, just get really tricky to distinguish. Um, and while I think the other thing people often are like, well, there's a timing company, like, why do I even need to wear a number? The chip will get it. Um, and there's two things. I mean, one of which is people actually forget their chips with some regularity. Like, there's usually at least <laughs> one or two people in any given field who have um, forgotten to put their chip on. And so in those cases, the visual that we have on that person is the only, you know, way that we can place them for finish, even with chips. And... Um, also, because when it comes down to a sprint, I mean, we're watching for the leading edge of the front wheel is what wins the race. Um, at least here, people's chips are back on their ankle, which depending on the positioning of your feet, um, just because your chip crossed first doesn't actually mean that the leading edge of your wheel crossed first. But like we need to be able to read the number on your jersey. And then there's also like races where there is no timing company, um, where it's purely based on just officials reading numbers. And then it's even more important. Oh, for everyone hates those, <laughs> but sometimes that's what you have to deal with. Yeah, um, I actually can. Uh, I'm gonna try not to launch into too much of a soliloquy on on um, the number crumpling and pinning and stuff like that thing. But, but of course, everyone knows, right? That the sort of how do you identify a brand new bike racer? How do you how do you know the person who's a newbie or you know the cat fives or whatever? And if, of course, it's because they've got four pins all at the corner of their number, just <laughs> going going once through the number, or even worse, just through the holes. 
you know, in the corners of the numbers. <laughs> and they've got the parachute. Yes. The, you know, the number parachute <laughs> yep. effect. You can always tell the number, you know, and it's just, it, first of all, I mean, you know, it's kind of hilarious. <laughs> but <laughs> it's also kind of sad. Um, and then some people here, and in, in the way that... Um, beginner in and i say this is someone who you know is a cat three so i'm not exactly some high level super advanced awesome bike racer um but the way that beginner categories uh can kind of spread uh you know the secrets the tricks of the trade to each other uh is remarkable especially when those those tricks of the trade are really terrible (laughs) and not good ideas (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's amazing um and one of the big ones that seemed to take take hold among my pals in in Tennessee was, oh yeah 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 yeah, crumpled up the crumple up the number, and that'll, you know, and, and of course the idea being that the number is very stiff until you crumple it, and then it'll kind of lie a little flatter, and it just would set my teeth on edge every time, every time, because, <laughs> yeah, and, and and Emily, I mean, you already you already nailed it, so I don't really need to spend too much time on this, but what I've ended up what I've taken doing is. I just pin the crap out of my numbers, um, <laughs> and, and you put them on when with the jersey kind of flat and everything, and, and that works great. Um, but I heard somebody. Uh, uh, oh, and and the other one that people do is like the pin in the middle of the number, um, <laughs> you know, which tends to throw timing like hammers and stuff for a loop. Uh, so yeah, if you're listening to this and you've been crumpling your number up and then pinning it on, stop doing that. Just like safety pins are, you know, effectively free. Like, <laughs> like you, when you buy, so if, if, even if the race does not provide, um, huge boxes of safety pins, which most of them do, uh, you can go and buy safety pins. I don't even know where you buy them. Just about anywhere, I guess. You know, and you buy them in boxes of like two hundred or something. Like, just get more safety pin. Like, like put like thirty safety pins on your number. Like, I'm not even kidding. Just, just like make that sucker lie flat with safety pins around the edge. It'll be fine. It'll be totally fine. That works great. Don't worry about all this nonsense about crumpling it up. It's not that good an idea. Don't use four safety pins. You know, pin through the number, through the jersey, through the jersey, through the number. <laughs> it's not that hard. I, I, I wish that um, number pinning, bizarre number pinning decisions were limited to the lower categories. But I've definitely, uh, you know, raced some some one two three races where I look around the field and I think, if that person is like a, a category three at least. <laughs> they should know how to pin a number. And I'm not yes. talking about safety pin usage, but like the middle of the back diagonal yes. placement where it could only be read from a helicopter. <laughs> or like even more baffling, the the like triathlon influenced small of the back yes. pointing directly back. Like who do you think is looking at the number <laughs> from that angle? How do you not look around at everybody else yes. and think, oh, I've done this wrong? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I will say, like, I try to be super nice. Like, if I see someone, you know, I I will fix numbers. Not all officials will, but I will fix numbers for people at the start line if I have time. Um, it's pretty much self-interested. Um, 
But also, <laughs> like, if I see someone walking around or riding around the course and their number's wrong, we will try to stop them and be like, hey, your number's on the wrong side or your number's, like, just totally cattywampus. Um, the one thing I will say about the triathlete style, there is a um, local elite triathlete who did a couple of cross races um, this year and unsurprisingly did really well but he consistently pinned his numbers wrong and I was correcting him one day but I was like oh but you're like you know I was kind of like ah well we'll we'll forgive you you know because (laughs) yeah the other the other PSA on numbers um that is specific to women um are women with especially like long hair um it just doesn't often stay up and out of the way. And so I w- I've definitely had notes where I'm writing down the initials of riders or I'm just writing down ponytail because <laughs> all, we can't see the number at all because it's completely obscured by the ponytail. So it's like, all right, braids and buns are your friend. Yeah. And more aerodynamic as well, I assume. I would think so. Yeah. This would be like a big, if I had long hair, this would be a big like, piece of interest for me. Is that I would thinking like, okay, what, like, what's the most, if, if people are buying aero helmets, certainly people should be thinking about like the aerodynamics <laughs> of their long hair and wouldn't a ponytail then tucked into your Jersey probably be the best to get something like flapping. I know it's not like the most, it's kind of like a protected, uh, in the lee of the head <laughs> thing, but, but still you don't want to, you don't want to have that thing. Well, there are those who say that, uh, there are those who say that Laurent Fillon left, lost the Tour de France by a ponytail. Uh, yeah, and I think the last word on numbers from any perspective, you know, it's like, well, my last word on numbers is there is no penalty for using too many safety pins. Like, there's a weight penalty. Yeah, well, yeah, those like those like ten, those those like two grams each safety pins. Yeah, I, just, just I know you just, you can make up that you can make up that weight just by letting a little bit of air out of your tires. It's that easy. Yeah. Yeah, just just use more safety pins. Like they are they are free. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I mean, what? Ah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to still be on this because this this actually does kind of drive me slightly crazy. But what what bike <laughs> racer doesn't have a massive stash of safety pins all you know daisy chained together? You know, because that's what you do, right? You you open the one safety pin, you slide a bunch of others um, onto that safety pin by the loop and you close it up and you take another one you do you know and i just i have like hundreds of safety pins and they're all in the bottom of every every bag that i own if i need a safety pin i just go to a bag that i've ever brought to a bike race yeah and i reach into it suffice to say i don't understand why this is such a problem maybe we should uh you know there there is an increasing focus on having more rider uh clinics especially for, you know, cat fives to get experience. Maybe, maybe there should be a number pinning clinic. I don't know if there needs to be a clinic, but I think, you know, when we have a culture that uh, where, where bike racing information is passed along by people talking to people and people learning from other people and riders riding bikes together in non-races, you know, you're not going to learn how to pin a number from Strava. That's <laughs> not what I'm going to say. Um, but if you if you're on a club and you go to your first race and there's a bunch of other people, you know, wearing the same shirt that you are there, you're going to learn how to pin a number correctly. So, well, that's, supposedly, you know, except that many of them call for for stronger communities. Yeah. Uh, well, that but though that is how people yeah. uh, uh, learn the crumpling, the crumpling trick, which they shouldn't do. Yes. Uh, 
All right, well, we should move on from safety pins. Yeah, I mean, so Emily, like, what, what are what are other things from an official's point of view that, uh, as a bike racer, like, I want the officials to have a smooth job because I, I want there to be officials. Um, and I, I guess I can, I can make a pretty reasonable claim, I think, that when something goes well from an official's point of view, it, it's probably a good event. And I want good events. So what are other things that, from your point of view, are just, like, total cringe-inducing fiascos that are like frustrating to deal with um yeah one of the things i will i mean like you said if it's from a racer standpoint if you feel like the race is well organized we probably think it's well organized too Mm -hmm. um so promoters are you know they're responsible for registration they're responsible for like lap cards they're responsible for getting the course set up Mm-hmm. Um, and so I will say when you see deficits in those areas, that's your promoter. Yeah. <laughs> and so we show up there, too, and we're like, oh, so you don't have lap cards. So, mm. all right, let me pull some paper and a Sharpie and some borrow some zip ties from the guys over at Neutral Support, um, who fortunately happen to be my neighbors. So it works out pretty well. But, you know, let me, like, cobble together some numbers and figure out how I'm going to hang them up. Because, I mean, some officials have numbers, but... We don't all and we aren't. It's not something we're required to carry. Um, Or if, you know, the finish line is in just like a crazy place, um, that's, you know, another situation where it's like, oh, like, why is this happening? Um, So, I mean, I like there was a great... um, first-time promoter who did a race this year for cyclocross and it was the course was really good there was sufficient parking it was well signed there were indoor bathrooms i love indoor bathrooms um it's not that i'm too good for porta potties it's just that (laughs) i like indoor bathrooms especially in the winter um and then they had their podium prizes that they also brought to us were like fresh baked chocolate chip cookies that they were somehow keeping warm and milk um (laughs) It was just really delightful. And um, and their course was good. And they had, like, a double-entry pit. Um, and so it's stuff like that. Um, you know, they had a way to print results. They had everything set up. Um, I think when it becomes problematic is if someone's really trying to do stuff simple or on the cheap. And so they've decided, like, oh, yeah, we'll just keep track of registration. And we have a spreadsheet. And we can just enter stuff. Um, unless you're really good, like, a ninja with Excel, you can't. Um, so that's one thing. Yeah. What about things that racers um, do that are just like total pains in the ass? Um, things racers do that are, you know, really the main thing is um, just being a jerk, um, which I would say is like true in life too. I don't necessarily <laughs> distinguish, but when a racer you know, or like if somebody's number is pinned wrong and I'm trying to help them by telling them, you know, your number's pinned wrong and they like snarl back or they're, you know, all hostile. Um, or if someone's riding around on course without a helmet on, um, mm. which if you're in the race, you have to have a helmet on when you're riding around. That's one that we like spend more time than you'd expect reminding people about. No, I would um, expect that because like, I'm, I'm always I'm always one of those people. Yeah. Sorry. But, you know, people, like, if they roll their eyes or whatever, it's like, look, I'm just, you know, I'm giving you a reminder. I'm not, like, pulling you off your bike and, you know, 
smacking you or anything. I'm just saying, hey, do this. Um, and I think the one other thing is when people come up to me while I'm trying to score and they're like yelling at me about something that just happened during the race. And I'm like, there's people still finishing. <laughs> I can't talk to you right now. Like, please talk to somebody else or just hang out. And then they get mad and walk away. And it's like, I need to score so that I don't screw up somebody else's race. And you're upset about your race being screwed up. So you should understand why this is a problem. I think that I or I, I hope that, you know, people just don't don't get like what all the moving parts are. And they probably would if they stopped and thought about it, you know, like learning about how officials are broken down into judges and referees and all of the things that you guys need to do in order to score a race like kind of makes my my jaw drop and it, it comes as no surprise but uh but i didn't really think too much about it before and actually when i was talking to one of our uh, other really terrific local officials bruce who is also a uci commissaire um yeah he's amazing he's he's really amazing um and he's so amazing that like I didn't notice him for like four years of bike racing. And then all of a sudden we were chatting and he was like, oh, you're going to nationals, right? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, great. I'll see you there. I'm, I'm the, I don't remember if he was the head referee or the chief judge or, or what, but yeah. he was, he was like, he was like one of the main guys at nationals. And that was, um, that's pretty cool. And so I, I chatted him up about it for a little while. And he said that his officiating philosophy was to be, uh, safe, consistent, and invisible. And I think that invisibility uh, really has its pros and its cons. Its pros are, you know, yeah, when you do a good job, it, it's just not noticed. Um, and, and that's, well, that's also its con, because when you do a good job or, or when you do a bad job, people don't understand what that job is, and so they come up and they yell at you about results when you're still trying to work, and you, you, there's, like, no rewind, you know? Yeah. And I think, I mean, I will just sing the praises of um, one of the really nice things I think about being in a small local association, which I think a lot of them are, is that, I mean, we're super lucky here in Minnesota. Yeah. Bruce is an international commissaire. Um, we have an another official who's a national commissaire and we have a couple of people who have their class A, which is like the top below that. Um, and they're just really great mentors. And Bruce especially is always like, you know, he's like, I know how to do all of this. So, like, you should be the chief ref at track tonight and I'll just mentor you through it. Um, and that's just super cool to have that kind of support and help um, from somebody who doesn't care if he's getting credit or being noticed or whatever. It's about building up other people, which is really cool. Yeah, that's terrific. And then another thing that, you know, is just sort of one of those one of those issues behind the the invisible uh khaki and blue collared curtain of officialdom is uh our mutual friend Leslie who's also an official uh was talking about a local crit and she just pointed out that the the kids race which is just something as racers like I, I don't have kids and like okay the kids race you know where children are on little scoot scoots and they're still like red parents are like following them around and it takes them 30 minutes to go around the block um, and everybody gets a medal like it's cute and it's not that interesting and, <laughs> and it's it's like it's like nice from an event standpoint but i would like to just you know get on with it uh leslie just pointed out okay this is the time that i have all day to go to the bathroom 
it's, <laughs> it's the summer. I'm in the sun. I'm trying to stay hydrated. And there's like six or eight hours of racing or more. And the, the kids race is when I have a bathroom break. That's it. That's really it. As soon as the race ends, you know, we're scoring and then the next one starts and we're yeah. taking down numbers every lap. And that's, oh, that's, that's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I call it, I mean, this is true of like all the summer races, but I call it, it's like strategic dehydration, you know, because <laughs> at road races, you're either in a car driving around behind a field and you can't really just be like, guys, go ahead. I'm just going to pull off here. Um, or you're like standing on the side of the road with the timing company, like not usually by a porta potty, usually like, and inevitably they pick, I mean, again, I'm not, I don't have super high standards, but they inevitably pick like not a cornfield, which is nice and tall and has places to hide, but they pick like soybeans, which are like low and wide open. Um, so yeah, it is. It's like, I just don't really drink a lot of water when I'm at races. Um, so yeah, we do appreciate the kids race. And that's also usually when we're trying to like shovel lunch down. Usually people bring us like sandwiches or something. Um, ideally it's something you can eat one handed because often I'll be like taking bites of a sandwich in between laps on a crit. Um, while I'm trying to score and be like, Oh crap, there's mustard on that one. now." (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So let's shift gears a little bit. And uh, you brought this up when we were talking about this episode. What are some rules that you would really love to see changed? And you can answer that or you can answer a different question. Like another way to phrase this question, we're like, are what from a rule standpoint, um, what drives you crazy? What's ridiculous or impossible to enforce or what's just annoying? What's stupid? What doesn't work? What? What needs to go? Well, one rule that um, I would sort of like to just alter um, is the rule that says that a protest of foul riding or other irregularity must be made within 15 minutes after the protesters finish time. Um, And the reason this rule makes me crazy is because um, so basically, you know, if you think that there was something that happened, like some guy came into you or like. The ref told me I crossed the center line, but I swear I didn't, um, or whatever. You have to make that protest within 15 minutes of finishing. And 15 minutes after somebody finishes usually means that they still have a pretty good amount of adrenaline coursing through them. And if they think they've been wronged, um, it just tends to come out in this really, like, angry and just adrenaline-fueled upset Um that is then kind of really hard because we also then need to like make a determination like, okay, was that or wasn't it? Um, And then like reason, you know, explain reasonably, well, yeah, you did cross the center line. And, you know, usually the response like, well, no, I did. It was just that that guy didn't hold his line. And so he came, you know, and it's, and usually my experience has been that if I've had that conversation with a rider, then, you know, 15 minutes after that or like 30 minutes after the race he'll come back and be like you know what i'm sorry i lost my cool like can we just like talk this out and i'm like yeah absolutely like i'm happy to talk to you about it again this goes to my like how have like a rational discussion with you but because you have to make the protest within 15 minutes it's really hard to have a rational discussion um and i understand i mean the rule is there because the idea is like we need to finalize results and so if there's going to be a protest we need to know and you know, if 
the further away from an event, potentially like people's memories go away. People might leave. Other people that you might need to talk to aren't there. But I just think like nobody is at their best and most rational, like immediately <clears throat> after an incident that they're going to protest has happened. I think that's a good one. Yeah, you know what? I, it I also... Was... Go ahead. It, it also sort of makes me realize why they're, you know, at a good race, why there are so many dang officials, you know? <laughs> there, there's a lot of work to be done, and if you want to be able to talk to somebody, too, it means that there needs to be enough people doing all of the work and also somebody to talk to. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that is, that can be a problem. I mean, we're sometimes working with a pretty small crew because we're trying to save promoters' money. Mm -hmm. And um, it is. It's like if I'm trying to score and get results done and the referee who was, you know, is off trying to get the next field ready to start, you know, there might not really be anybody there who can make that decision. And so sometimes it's a matter of me, like, turning the person being like, okay, I understand your protest. I'll pass it along. You're going to have to come back and talk to the chief ref. But, like, he's not available right now. Yeah. What's your take on that, Greg? Um. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know what? To be honest with you, I've had very few occasions where I really need to interact with the officials a lot. Um, I tend to be. I'm not really one of the hotheads. <laughs> it's that's, you know, and I usually find that my race goes okay and. I don't have a whole lot to say, so I don't think I'm I'm really the the person to consult about that because I kind of a lot of time I sort of finish my race, then I'm like that seemed about right and okay, uh, and I'm cool with it. I don't know, so it's, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know I don't find myself having reasons usually, which isn't to say it couldn't happen, but you know I I just have had very very little reason to really approach the officials to complain about anything or to adjust something or or anything like that so which isn't you know i'm not saying it's because you know i'm better than than everyone but it, i mean it is I, you know i'm a better bike racer than anyone else that's why <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well that seems like a good uh a good note on which to end our our two-part discussion on uh, ask an official so thank you uh, thank you thank you once again Emily good for joining us to answer some questions about being an official and, and running bike races and, and making sure you know doing your job to make sure everything goes smoothly I am happy to do it <laughs> Great. I'm glad. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. We don't want, we don't grouchy officials. <laughs> no. no. good. Yeah. So, so we've been joined by Emily Good. She's awesome. Uh, is there anywhere that people should uh, follow you on the internet or on, on, on Twitter or, or anything like that? Or. Um, probably the easiest or the best place is to find me on Twitter. I am at E J good. That's G O O D. Um, I talk about immigration and bikes in like fairly equal <laughs> amounts. So just be ready for that. Awesome. Yeah. And of course, 
uh, I'm Greg. You can find me on Twitter at Grolby. Uh, hey, Matteo, what about you? And I'm Matteo. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Matteo, spelled M-A-T-T-I-O. Yeah. And this, of course, is the Working Man's Honest Bicycle Program. We are at standarddouble.com slash WHBP. Yes, you, you can, can also download find our us. business you can on all, iTunes. Yes, go to iTunes, leave us a review, tell us what you think. You can get in touch with uh, the show uh, at uh, honestbikeprogram at gmail.com or at underscore WHBP. As always, um, it's a delight to chat to you about bikes, and we will catch you next week. Same bike time, same bike channel. <laughs> Good night.